everybody. How's it going? Morning. Happy Sunday. God, thank you for today. Thank you for this opportunity and time of fellowship that we have with each other. Please guide our thoughts and guide our minds and understandings and open our hearts to your word and your truth. We pray for rest and patience for your will to be done in our lives and the understanding and the promise that you have given us for your victory over all things. We worship your name and your power and sovereignty now together as your church and your people and your children. Amen.
Amen. Good morning, church. Welcome to 2016. Sounds like it's been a good year for all of you so far. That's a good thing. Three days in. Uh, I don't know. Um, so we have a couple things that we wanted to give to you guys uh, right off the bat, the beginning of this year. Um, some things that we've been looking at and, and moving towards. And one of those is we're going to be doing some cleaning digitally. Um, so what we're asking, we're going to be bringing back these communication cards from now on. They'll be in your bulletin. So you'll be able to uh, give us your prayer requests. And we'll have a prayer team's pray for anything you guys need. Um, if you're new, it's the simplest way to sign up for more information and stuff. But what we've been finding is that our database of names we've had forever um, is compiled with a bunch of people that don't even live in Alaska still. We continuously get emails saying, we haven't been to that church in five years. So we realize we're in desperate need to do some uh, year cleaning and make a new database for all of the people at our church. So what we're asking is with these communication cards that's in your bulletin, if you've been coming to the church for a week or if you've been coming here for 20 years, we would like you guys to fill this out because we're going to take all of this new information with uh, your name and your families and everything and build a whole new database for the church. So we're up to date and we stop spam mailing people that don't come here anymore. And so we have a clear understanding of who's coming to our church. Um, it also helps uh, if you put your kids' names and stuff because we'll be able to incorporate that into kids' church check-in and stuff like that. So if you can fill out one of these, our host ministry team has pens and they have these cards in their hands. If you did not get a card, can you raise your hand? Or if you need a pen to fill one out, can you raise your hand? If you could fill it out and just put it in the offering basket, that would be awesome because then we'll... For the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing this, um, and that way we'll be able to just have a new database with everybody that's presently coming to the church. Um, one other thing we wanted to note is Elkie put on our homepage, this year we're really going to be focusing on bib biblical literacy, and so one of the tools we're going to be using throughout the whole year is walking through the Bible. Um, and on our homepage, we have... Uh, something on our homepage that you can click on, which is every single day walking through the Bible. Um, it goes Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. So if you want to join with us, it's on the homepage now. You've only missed two days so far. Um, you can just go to the homepage uh, and look at where we're at. And then as a church, we can be reading through the whole entire word together this year. And it's something that we're going to be looking at. Uh, we're going to be starting that series in the end of January. Of the walk through the Bible, so you'll be a little bit ahead of the game if you start now. So, wanted to give you that as well. Um, if you are new, fill out the communication card. Um, if you want to know what's going on in the church, there's information out in the lobby. Um, there's tables out there. Definitely check out what's happening. The uh, the beast feast is coming up. I know for sure. Um, so check out that table if you want to buy raffle tickets and. Um, we're going to dismiss the kids, uh, kids' church at this time, but I want to pray really quick. Father, we thank you for this year that we've just begun. Lord, we thank you for what you have brought us through in the last year, Lord, and what we know you're going to do in this year in your body. And Lord, I pray that we would diligently seek you, God, that we would follow after you wholeheartedly, and, and that we would come into line with your plan and your mission in this valley. 
Lord, that we would be faithful to do our parts in glorifying your name and investing our lives into your purpose in your kingdom. Uh, God, we thank you for all the teachers that give their time and their wisdom to our kids. I pray that as they speak to our kids this morning, that you would just be in those classrooms and that the gospel would be heard and received from the littlest of hearts. Lord, we thank you for the words that Floyd is going to be preaching today. I pray that you'd speak through them with boldness and clarity. And God, just be glorified as head of this church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your kids here, you can bring them to kids' church at this time. If not, you can stand with us and we're going to continue to worship. Hey, one other thing I totally forgot. Kathy needs a couple people for nursery toddler room. If I didn't announce that, I'd be hearing it later. So doing my due diligence. Uh, If you want to help out in nursery toddler room, uh, go see Kathy out in the lobby. She's really short, so she's hard to find, but you'll see her. Also, um, we're going to be cleaning all the Christmas decorations after this service. So if you want to stay after the service and help us just... Uh, get the trees down and pack everything up so we're, we don't look like it's still Christmas. That would be awesome and we highly appreciate it. So that'll be right after this service. All right, thanks.
was uh, that was really beautiful, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Bless you, man. Morning, Floyd. Morning, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, as I sometimes do, I took a little too long in the beginning of my message, uh, this earlier service, so I got to be a little more um, conscious of the time. So I want to jump right into this, but I want to take up our offering real quick. And um, Lord, I pray according to 1 John 3 that in above all things and in every respect that you will cause each person's soul to prosper in Friends Church and that, God, you will bless this people and in every area of their lives, Lord, your hand will be upon them. You will cause them to prosper and be in health even as their souls prosper. And may they prosper in their finances as they sow into your kingdom. And, uh, and Lord, uh, we pray that every need will be met and the vision that you have for Friends Church will be fully accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, this morning I want to talk about walking circumspectly. This is taken out of uh, Ephesians. And, um, but before I do that, I thought it would be good since this is the first Sunday of 2016, or 2016, 2000, how many in thousands? 2016. Uh, and, and just uh, review for a minute uh, the vision that um, the Lord gave us for this last year and actually here ongoing as well. And uh, the first part of the vision is to know God, which, is to, which means to, that we can all have a personal, intimate, experiential love relationship with God, that you can actually love God, that you can communicate with him and he with you. And... You know, I was thinking about this just before I came up here, and um, I was thinking, you know, I could preach this vision for the rest of my life. It's, it's just like it's all here for me. And uh, the second part is that we would know each other. And that means that not only do we fulfill the greatest commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but that we love each other and we have the love relationship that, that actually is um, uh, created by the presence of God within us, that we can love one another with his love. And not only that, but we would know each other, and that means not know each other according to the flesh, but know each other according to the spirit, and that means know who and what we are, not knowing ourselves that way and knowing each other that way, and that creates a powerful synergy within the church if we could get to that place. And I believe that that's exactly where God is taking us. And then the third part is to be activated to make him known. And that means that 
you begin to understand that this is a team ministry. It's not, I'm the minister and you're not. It's, we are all in the ministry. We are all a part of this team. We're all players that get on the field with their gifts, with their callings, and with the purpose that God has for their lives. And, and I'll tell you what, once that begins to gel, and once that begins to happen, we are going to impact this city in a major way. And this church is going to explode. Because there's nothing like, like new converts coming in. And what happens then is we need, we need hundreds of people that are able to take those new people and nurture them and help them and, and explain to them what this is all about. So, with that in mind, I want to talk about walking circumspectly in 2016. And, you know, in terms of this vision, I, it's like a template. And so, as I'm reading the Word, I'm seeing this template repeated over and over. And a really great example is right here in John 17, 1-4, where it says, Jesus spoke these things, he's talking to his disciples, or, I'm sorry, he's praying... And he's lifting up his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And in this, we see the, the, the components of the vision that God has given this church, which is, he says, Father, Father. That's his relationship. That's his intimate, personal, experiential love relationship with God. God is our Father. And then he says, glorify your Son. That was his identity. That's how he saw himself in relationship to the Father. And that's what we are. We are sons and daughters of God. It's awesome what God has invited us into in this relationship. And then he says... Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. That's making him known in our case. But it was the work that, that was the exact representation of the Father. That's what Jesus accomplished. He said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And I'm telling you what. We're going to come to the place where, where when, the, when the people of this world, when the people of this city begin to see the church as God has destined her to be, they will be drawn to the Lord. They will, have say, they will say, wow, there's something different about this group. There's something going on there. It's interesting. I want to find out more about it. And so I want to talk about walking circumspectly and I have kind of a a different way of looking at it, and it's in Hebrews 11, uh, or Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. It says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now what this is referring to is the transition between the, the sacrificial system of Moses under the old covenant to the one sacrifice of Christ in the new covenant and what this verse is talking about is what was going on with Moses where the priests could never sit down because their ministry was unending they were continually day after day time after time having to stand and minister and 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 sacrifice more bulls and goats to cover 
sins. Not to take away sins. The atonement was only to cover the sins for another period of time. And so it never ended. And so therefore, they were not able to sit down. But this man, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice, wow, one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And the very fact that he sat down at the right hand of God actually guarantees the next verse where it says, from that time, waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. The fact that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, guaranteed the fact that that there would come a point when all of his enemies would become his footstool and every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's where we're going with all of this. And what I'm trying to say here this morning is that we are in between verse 12 and verse 13. It's very important, as, as many of you know, that when you read a verse in Scripture, that you, that you make sure you understand its context. And what we're talking about here this morning is the context of our lives and how we are in between verse 12 and 13. We're in between the time when Jesus Christ gave one sacrifice for all time and sat down at the right hand of God and the time when his enemies would be made his footstool. The fact is, one awesome thing about this, and, and I mean, this has to be unveiled to our minds. I mean, we, I have no real clue about what this means exactly, but, but I know that it, it means that we have great authority from God. It's the fact that we are seated with him. Ephesians 2.6, we are seated with Christ. We were crucified with Christ. We were raised with Christ. We ascended with Christ. And now we are seated at the right hand of God in Christ. And that's going to have a powerful impact on who and what we are and what we do with this life that God has given us. And so let's look at what the Holy Spirit breaks it down and what he has to say through the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 5. It says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. I want you to know that every single one of you, every person in this room, is involved in a war. I woke up this... I woke up... uh, a few days ago, and immediately there was presented to my mind, or should I say projected into my mind, an embarrassing situation in which I felt I had failed. And what really bothered me was the inference that this is who you really are. And fortunately, I had the presence of mind 
to grasp the fact that that was a lie from the pit, and that had, and I, and I quickly turned it around for a better picture, and that is who and what I am in Christ, and the fact that He's in me, and that makes a huge difference. And that's what God wants for you today. He wants to give you a revelation of who you are and what you are in Christ and the fact that he is in you. And we, there is a need for a massive reprogramming of our minds to align ourselves with the facts of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is in the job of helping us do that very thing. And so he says, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed to the light or by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. We, the, the scripture says that if we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And it says, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. And that word circumspectly means pointed, accurately, watchful in every direction, redeeming the time, making the best use of the time making the most of the time that we have because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word, that word dissipation, is very profound. It means wasting by misuse, mental distraction, amusement, diversion, to disperse or dissipate, to squander, exhaust, and be spread thin. Wine in this, in this scripture, I believe, represents not just, not just alcoholic wine, but anything that results in dissipation. Because we thin out in the spirit. And when you thin out in the spirit, your, your soul is hungry for God. But because you're not walking with him, you're not pressing toward him, you're not seeking him, you're not taking time in the secret place, maybe you're not taking time in the work, you begin to thin out and your soul is hungry. So you begin to feed on other things. And it causes a dissipation of your life in the spirit. It thins it out even more. And then Ephesians 4, 17, For this I say and affirm together in the Lord, that you no longer walk, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind. And that word futility means lack of purpose or meaning. Lack of effectiveness or success. We are no longer to walk as the Gentiles. The Gentiles in this sense being people in the world. Because God has transferred us 
out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And it says that we are in the world, but we're not of the world because we're born from above. We are citizens of heaven. And I want to add to that not only, not only those two aspects of not ways of not walking or formally walking in, in the ways of the world, but also the fact that you are no longer the person you once were. You're a new species of being in Christ. And so there's no commonality between you and the world. We are from above. And that's the way we are to walk. And then it says, and that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I don't know exactly what that means, the spirit of your mind. But I think that it's, you know, it's the, it's the depth, heart, attitude, and and the very spirit of the way you think. And I always really pay attention to the, the idea of renewing your mind because really it's a matter of you all what God has already made you and you getting a revelation of who you are. This is absolutely essential for a, a walk that is not uh, any longer uh, like the world. And so we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. It, and, and, and it always reminds me of Romans 12, 2, where it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, this whole thing, I just want to say this one thing. I mean, if I haven't said it enough, it's like God has already recreated you. And, and, and you have all of this old, these old neural pathways in your mind and everything that, that the world has fed you your whole life about your place and your position and what and you're capable of and your potential and all kinds of things. And, and our minds have got a lot of viruses in there. There's a lot of lies that we believe are true about ourselves. And God wants to reach in there by the power of his spirit and his word and, and renew your mind. Because our brains are actually have that capacity to carve new neural pathways. You're not stuck with what you've got right now. And put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and true holiness. You were born from above. You are a new creature in Christ. And you are his workmanship, his masterpiece. He's working on you. He that's begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. You're, you're in an ongoing uh, uh, process of transformation every day. And all God needs, I mean, no one can, trans, no one can change you. Not even God can change you unless you participate with him unless you give your heart and soul and mind to that process of transformation. And that's exactly what we're doing here at Friends Church. 
And I believe that I believe that the word that's being implanted is going to produce much fruit. And suddenly, I, th- I see it as almost like a, a corporate thing between us that suddenly the light will go on and we'll go, oh my God, look what you're doing, Lord. It's awesome. It's beautiful. So, last, last time I preached, I had this acronym in the notes, but I didn't explain what it was. And I went out to the lobby and this, this gal stopped me and she says, what is that N-C-R-E-M-M thing? Oh, I say, that's N-C-R-E-M. N-C-R-E-M. And you're all going, oh, what's that? It's something that I say a lot. Because with the old self, the wiring and the, and the, and the neural pathways from the old self, they are the natural, carnal, religious, earthbound matrix mindset that needs to be renewed. We need radical reprogramming. And I'm just going to keep saying this all through 2016 and however long it takes till we become that glorious church that God has in mind. And so I thought it would be good to break that down because although these, these five uh, uh, word, these five adjectives uh, concerning the mindset are, you know, they kind of overflow into one another. I think there's enough distinction in each one to justify uh, uh, maybe a, a simple definition. So, number one, the natural mind. What is, what is it, what is the natural mind? The natural mind is a mind that is void revelation. It is without revelation. Therefore, if it's without revelation, there is no change, no momentum, no advancement, no progress, and obviously no renewal of the mind, and therefore there's no transformation. So we need to avoid the natural mind because it says that the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually perceived. They're spiritually received. Colossians 2.10 In you, in, excuse me, in him you have been made complete. I have two beautiful granddaughters who are three years old, Lucy and Haven. And those two granddaughters are absolutely the, you know, heartbeat of, I love them so much, I I can't say enough about them. They're just fantastic little people. But although they're not mature, they are complete. They have everything they need within them to become everything that they're to grow up to be. And that's exactly what even the new, the new converts, you pe- the, the people who have come in here today and you're new to the Lord, you've got everything you need right now. You are already so many things in God's sight. Now all it takes is for you to begin to realize what God has achieved in the cross, the the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of God. And that's what we're all learning. So we are complete in him. And, And then secondly, 
um, in terms of revelation, uh, we, I, I, as I think about it as a pastor, I'm looking at you, and I'm not, you know, I, I need to not see you exactly the way you are, but I need to see ahead of where you are. And I need to speak out into that future to you now and begin to declare exactly the truth of God's word so that you will begin to realize what he has achieved in Christ. And I was thinking about this, and I, I was thinking about my family, you know, and, and I, have, I have two um, daughters-in-law, my two sons have married the most beautiful, the most godly, the most wonderful young women I could ever ask for, even beyond what I could ask for, and I'm not kidding. And, and I thought, oh, how beautiful they are. And then it, then it dawned on me, God has done the same thing. He's chosen the most beautiful bride on the planet, his church. And he says, he even says that, that the son is going to marry a beautiful glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And we need to begin to see that. God needs to begin to, you know, we need to receive from him the vision for that and the, and the, and the strategy for that and, and how that could begin to take place here at Friends Church and how we might see the church rise up into all that God has provided for her. And one of the ways is here in, in John 16, 12 through 15, and I'm still talking about the necessity of revelation. It says, Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes. Now, this is a, this pronoun, he, is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is here at Friends Church. He is here residing in you, his vessel, his temple, his dwelling place. He's in you, and his purpose is to guide you into all truth. So that he could unveil the entire kingdom unveil the glory of the Father, the Son, and, and all that the Father has, and, and I will read that here in a second, and begin to, to, to reveal it to us. And so he says, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. And he will take of mine and disclose it to you. He's repeating this whole idea over and over. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. And what does this all mean? It means that we are to live in a continual download before God. That we are being taken, we are being guided into all truth. And everything that the Father has is to be revealed and disclosed to us so we can understand all that has been provided, everything that was achieved and provided for us on the cross and in the resurrection and, 
and the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Luke 10.22, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father. In other words, we can't know the Son unless the Father reveals to him, discloses him to us, okay? And who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You, you can't You can't get what only the Holy Spirit can give you through scholarship, through Bible study, through whatever means. It's it's the Holy Spirit himself that discloses these things to us. And, And we need to be expecting. We need to understand this is the life that God has given us. This is the way this is all supposed to work. We're talking about a supernatural experience and information from heaven being downloaded into us. This is exactly what happened to Peter. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood. This is talking about the natural mindset. Flesh and blood. Did not reveal this to you, his identity, but my Father who is in heaven. This is an example. The Father revealed the Son. And the Father needs to continue to reveal the Son as we seek him in the secret place. We stop everything. Turn off your television. Turn off your cell phone. Turn, turn everything. Get quiet. Get into the closet like he says in Matthew 6. And begin to take the word and say, God, open up my eyes. Take the veil from my eyes. Help me to hear, to see, to to receive that which you want to disclose to me. And get out of this natural mindset. This is why Paul, and I mention this a lot, but you need to pray this. This is what Paul prayed for the church. That the Father would grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. So, ultimately, it's not about theology or Bible study. It's possible to have right doctrine, theology, and even a sense of mission with a deficit of personal, experiential, intimate knowledge and relationship with God. And, and I'm sorry to say, I know pastors who fit that description. How many of you have been to Morocco? Been to Morocco? Am I the only one that's been to Morocco? I've been to Morocco. I have personal, intimate, experiential, you know, uh, knowledge of Morocco. You, you get my point here. That's what God wants to have. He wants to, he wants to, this has got to become reality to us. Okay, number two, carnal. What's the carnal mindset all about? Whatever produces the chemistry. Like when you, when you go down to the uh, car, car uh, dealer and you sit in your new car and you get that new car smell and you get this euphoric thing, or you, you ladies, you just bought this gorgeous dress and put it on, it fits, man, it's awesome. Boom, you know, pow. You get this little pop in your brain. That's, called, that's what I call chemistry, okay? And there's a lot of things that can produce the chemistry. One of the 
term we use around here is Turkish delights. And that's when I get down from the pulpit and somebody comes up, oh, Floyd, that was so good, man. You just really knocked it out of the park. Bam! And I go, pop, no, pop. <laughs> a little Turkish delight. So, I mean, we talk about drugs, we talk about sex, money. Money. We could talk about money. That would really give you a pop. Video games. Facebook. Facebook. Man, you can spend hours on Facebook trying to get those little, you know, thumbs up. I like it. And what is that? You're just getting a little pop. Your soul is hungry for God. But you don't have God. So you're just feeding off the media, feeding off the people. It's all about reputation. It's about what people think of me and the praise of men and it's all about self-satisfaction. That's the carnal mindset. Religious. Self-sufficiency in God. It's all about performance and behavior under rules and standards. You have the self-righteous superior judgment of other people and the condemnation that you can never get away from. It's like when when uh, pastors meet, oh, how 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 many, uh, how many people are you running? It's all about comparison and competition. And I'm telling you what, there are whole chapters, entire books of the New Testament that are devoted to this subject. So we could talk about it for a few months at least. Anyway, earthbound. What is, what is the earthbound mindset? It's a mindset that is bound and limited to whatever is humanly possible. The Christian life is reduced to principles, concepts, and theology without the supernatural power and presence of God. It's all about, you, can, you know, we can have a church, we got all these activities, and all these programs, we got all the structure we're working on and building stuff and, and maybe even outreach. But where's the presence of God? Where's the anointing of God? This is really vital because we know that apart from Him, we can do nothing. We will not achieve. And I hope that in the in not too distant future, I want to talk about energy. What God has to say about energy. Really, really cool stuff. But, you know, it, Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And he said, my message and my preaching was not with words of wisdom. My message and preaching, you know, I, I, I kind of strive for that. But Paul said, no, I, I didn't, my message of preaching was not with words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. We have got to have a gospel that is infused with power. Because when we preach the kingdom of God, there needs to be evidence of the power of God to release people from that which afflicts them, that which binds them, that which oppresses them, 
that sickness, that disease, whatever it is, because the kingdom of God is God's rule on the earth. And when his rule comes, when that, when that will that is in heaven comes down to earth, things change. And that's what God wants us to have. He wants us to know the power of his gospel. And then finally, um, the matrix mindset, which is maybe my personal favorite. Everybody's seen the matrix? Yes, every single one of you has seen the movie, the matrix. Though you don't, you know, how could you even be here? But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But the fact is, it's a great movie that illustrates the um, artificial manufacture of this world system, which is a, a system designed to deceive, and I'll get to that in a minute. But basically, it, it's all about self-exaltation and selfish ambition, and it's all about the pyramid. The whole world system is a pyramid, with a few people at the top and most of us down at the bottom. And, the, and the, in this pyramid, the matrix tells you, the matrix tells you what you need to be. It tells you how you need to look, what you need to have, and what you need to do to be valued and significant. And so it's all given over to, oh, yeah, what can I, what can I have? What can I obtain? What can I possess? How much money? How, how fantastic can I look? What do I, you know, uh, well, a bachelor's is good, but wow, master's, hey, I'm going for a PhD. You know, boom, 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 bump me right up that ladder. It's all about the ladder. It's all about, it's all about you know, positioning and rank. And so it says in Revelation 12, 9, that the, listen to this, this is the facts, okay? Here's the facts. Here's the facts. We just need to come to grips with it. If you, if you understand this fact, it will help you to dislodge yourself from this world. And the fact is that the devil deceives the whole world. That's what it says in Revelation 12, 9. This is a massive thing of deception out there. And when you're watching the news at night, watching all these, you know, various television programs, it's all programming. It's programmed. You're being programmed, people. And if you don't recognize that, if you don't, if you don't see that, you're dead meat. You just, you're getting programmed and don't even know it. And I could go way into that, but um, we don't have time. 1 John 5.19 the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. So let's get back to Hebrews 10, 12, 13. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God, and from that time waiting until his enemies be made his footstool. And I just wanted to mention a couple of verses here that talk about what it looks like, what, you know, a, maybe a different description of the, his enemies being made his footstool. And so in, in Daniel 
chapter 2, there's a king, his name is Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this dream, and none of his wise men can interpret the dream, but Daniel can interpret the dream. And the dream has to do with, with uh, this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, and his kingdom, and then some successive kingdoms after him. And it says here in Daniel 2, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. And this great image, whose splendor, splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, and its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's where this whole thing is headed, people. That's where we're going. And, and I really like um, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on these verses. He says, the stone cut out without hands represented the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is the stone cut out of the mountain without hands. For it should neither be raised nor supported by human power or policy. No visible hand should act in the setting of it up, but it should be done invisibly by the spirit of the Lord of hosts. This was the stone which the builders rejected. The, the Jewish priests, scribes, and lawyers rejected Christ because it was not cut out by their hands, but it has now become the headstone of the corner. It is the kingdom, it is, it is a kingdom not of this world, yet it is set up in it. It is the kingdom of God coming among men. Being set up by God, by the God of heaven, it is often in the New Testament called the kingdom of heaven, for it is, its origin is from above and its tendency upward. And that's what I'm trying to say is that is where this will all culminate. It says in Revelation 11:15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. 1 John 2.17 says, This world is passing away and its lust. It's in a state of corruption. It's, a, it's in a state where it will ultimately dissolve. Revelation 19, you know, this is so incredible. It's, I mean, I'm trying to expand our thinking right now and put us in that context between the sacrifice of Christ and the fact that his enemies will become his footstool. 
It says in Revelation 19, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat in it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and, make, and makes war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty against those who have rejected Christ and his message. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is Jesus making his enemies his footstool. And, and, and if we're going to walk circumspectly, we really need to consider these things. And I'm not sure that maybe there's some of you have not completely understood what I'm talking about thus far. But um, if you keep following the Lord, you will. But nevertheless, um, uh, I, I think what I'm about to read, every one of you will understand. This was, uh, this was an essay written by a 17-year-old young high school student for a class that, in which he was assigned to write. And um, it was uh, two months before he, he died. And he had told his father, he, he told his father about the essay, he said, I wowed him, it's a killer, it's the bomb, it's the best thing I ever wrote. And so here is Brian Moore's essay entitled, The Room. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features except for the one wall covered with small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject by al in alphabetical order. But these files which stretched from floor to ceiling and seemingly endless in either direction had very different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, the first one to catch my attention was the one that read, Girls That I Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its, with its small files was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of every moment, big and small, in detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their contents. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret so intense that I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next, one, was next to one marked Friends I Have Betrayed. The titles range from mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness things I've yelled at my brothers, others I couldn't laugh at, things I have done in my anger. 
things I have muttered under my breath at my parents. I never cease to be surprised by the contents. Often there are many more cards than expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I, I had the time in my years to fill each of these thousands or even millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. Each was written in my own handwriting, each signed with my signature. When I pulled out the file marked TV shows I had watched, I realized the files grew to contain their contents. The, the cards were packed tightly, yet after two or three yards, I hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it, shamed, not so much by the quality of the shows, but more by the vast time I knew the file represented. When I came to the file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file out only an inch, not willing to test its size, and drew out a card. I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke over me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. In insane frenzy, I yanked the file out. Its size didn't matter now. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as I took one look at, took it at one end, began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge a single card. I became desperate and pulled out a card only to find it as strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot. Leaning my forehead against the wall, I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. Then I saw it. The title bore people I have shared the gospel with. The handle was brighter than those around it, newer, almost unused. I pulled on its handle and a small box not more than three inches long fell into my hands. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. Then the tears came. I began to weep, sobbed so deep they hurt. They started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it all. The rows of file shells swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever, ever know of this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then I pushed away the tears and I saw him. No, please, not him, not here. Oh, anyone else but Jesus. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And in the moment I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go for the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes. But this was the pity that didn't anger me. I dropped my head and covered my face with my hands and began to cry. He walked over and put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one end of the room, he took out a file and one by one began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find to say was no, no, as I pulled the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards, but there it was, written in red, so rich, so dark, 
and so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with his blood. He gently took the card back and smiled a sad smile and began to sign the card. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant it seemed I heard him close the last file and walk back to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, it is finished. I stood up and he led me out of the room. There was no lock on the door. There were still cards to be written. Thank God for the blood of the cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. In Christ, you who have formerly, you were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We have been purchased by his blood. We have justified by his blood. We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been perfected forever by the blood. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. We have peace through the blood of his cross. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We are released from our sins by his blood. He has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Your past does not determine your future. The blood of Christ unhinges you from all that you have done and all that you have said and all that you have, have all the sins that you have committed that Christ could give you a new life and make you into a new species of being, a new person. And so if you haven't received Christ into your heart, if you haven't prayed, then today is the day. Pray to him, say, Jesus, save me. Come into my heart. Make my life count. Help me to, Lord, commit my life in such a way to you that you will make me valuable and significant in your sight. And if you do know Jesus today, then I really want you to consider, I want you to walk out of here and think, oh God, what am I doing with my life? Walk circumspectly. Amen. Thank you. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our